Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. All of them are steaming piles of horseshit. <laughs> All of them. All glory goes to the winner. Gerard, the completionist, how are you doing? I'm doing well, Tom. How are you? I'm all good. Thank you so much. Ten years of the completionist. Tell me one world event that when you started this channel and started your work, you could have never foreseen. Donald Trump becoming president. <laughs> I, I, I like how that's more unlikely than a global pandemic. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> if you had to tell me global pandemic or Donald Trump, I would say <laughs> Donald Trump is more unlikely than a plant than a pandemic happening. It almost feels like a, a mad lib with Donald Trump becoming president. If you look at it in the grand scheme of things, it sort of jumps off the page to you quite a lot. Yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, but congratulations on ten years. Uh, it it must feel in- incredible. But has the time gone like that? Oh my gosh. I blinked and it was, I teleported 10 years in the future, man. Uh, we jokingly say around the office that, uh, I live my life one video game at a time. And that's, that couldn't have been more true. You know, I, in the last 10 years, I've sacrificed so much of my personal life of my, of my family life, my relationships. I've gained a lot of friends. I've lost a lot of friends and I've grown so much in 10 years personally, but but really just completing a game a week almost every week for the last 10 years has been such a surreal experience. And the fact that I've cultivated such a kick-ass audience to join me along the way has been nothing short of incredible. I wouldn't, I wouldn't change anything if I had to do it all over again. It's been a wild ride, and uh, it feels weird to know that there's going to be more to come, you know? <laughs> and we're going to talk all about it, and we're going to get into the weeds on it. But also the one thing that people may not know about you, Gerard, is that you're a bit of a wrestling fan as well, aren't you? Dude, I am a huge wrestling fan. So uh, it's, it's actually interesting. Uh, I Okay, so I grew up on the Attitude Era, obviously, like most everyone else did. Uh, but I got in at the end of the Attitude Era. One of my first year of wrestling was the WCW ECW invasion. Like I was right there on the cusp of when WWE purchased WCW and ECW. So 
I missed a lot. I, I missed Bret Hart. I missed Shawn Michaels. Uh, I, I missed the Owen Hart fan, the, the Hart brother, you know, the whole Hart family. Uh, I missed Gengrel. Like I missed like some of these key weird components of, of wrestling greats in history. And, and my knowledge is like triple H, the rock Kane, stone cold, uh, Mick Foley, edge and Christian, the Dudleys, the Hardys, Lita, Trish, TNA, uh, you know, th- that's kind of where my, my, you know, Hurricane Helms, like that's kind of where my wrestling passion started. And then I stopped about midway through the Ruthless Aggression era. And then I went completely dark uh, from then until the new day. The new day is what brought me back to wrestling. Uh, without knowing Austin Creed or Wood personally, I... I just found the new day and suddenly I went down this rabbit hole and then the pandemic came along and I, I found Adam Cole and just like, just like a bat out of hell, I was back in watching AEW, WWE, uh, watching all the content that I've missed. It's just, I I've missed 15 plus years of wrestling history. And it's, it's been so incredible to, to take the time to go down that rabbit hole. So to go back through all those years that you loved and the years that you missed, uh, I've asked you to choose three wrestling matches that you will watch while stranded on a metaphorical desert island. Uh, what would you like your your first wrestling match to be, sir? Oh my goodness. Okay, this is this is going to be a weird one, only because I was there in person and it blew my mind. It was at the Los Angeles Staples Center. And I, I think I might be getting the, the configuration wrong. This was right around the two-man power group of Triple H and Stone Cold Steve Austin. The Monday Night Raw before Jericho or uh, Triple H tore his quad. And the following SmackDown, which was the next day, we saw, I think I want to say it was a four-man tag match. And it was, oh man, it, it was Jericho and Benoit as the tag champs versus... The Dudleys, the Hardys, and I want to say Kane and someone else. The Hurricane? Uh, no. No, I, I got to look it up now. Uh, so it's the Staples Center. What was the year again? It was, oh man, I, I'm already pulling up the YouTube link. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, I'm already, I'm trying to find it. Oh, Daily Motion. No, where's YouTube at? Okay. Yeah, it was two. It was the I think it was the year two thousand one. It was Dudley's Hardy's Edge and Christian and Chris Benoit and Jericho. So it was basically TLC uh, with uh, featuring Benoit and Jericho. And uh, I was in the nosebleed seats, but it didn't matter because these guys were throwing themselves through on a random Tuesday night in Staples Center. And uh, I just remember after seeing WrestleMania two thousand after you know, falling in love with, with Stone Cold Steve Austin and him turning heel and remembering what that felt like to then the two-man power group showing up and then seeing this match unfold, uh, it was next level because I was a huge Jericho fan. Y2J was a huge thing for me. And uh, seeing him have the belt with, with Benoit just kind of felt like the, the Canadian duo that I've been secretly growing a passion for. Uh, and, and this, this match was incredible. It, these, all, all these competitors just put themselves through hell. A lot of high flying spots, a lot of ladders and tables as always. It was, 
definitely one that stands out regardless of of the era and the people involved what i love about that match in particular if memory serves is that that match was was announced just a couple of hours before because the monday night before this triple h tore his quad Mm -hmm. And the plan was going to be for Triple H and Austin to have multiple dust-ups with Jericho and Benoit. And that was your, the, the top of the tree for the company. And then Triple H tore his quad. I'm like, oh, well, we, that's kind of scuppered a lot of our plans going forward. So what WWE mm -hmm. tends to do, and I love when they do it, is that if they can't deliver an advertised match, they'll over-deliver an unadvertised match. And this mm -hmm. is a great example of that, where they just went, just get all the tag team lads out there. Let's have another TLC. And it it's, it's, it's a forgotten TLC classic. Oh yeah. And um, with that one, so you were you were there live at the Staples Center for I was it. I was 10 years old, man. Oh. I was such a young kid freaking out. <laughs> <laughs> who was who was so so you were a Jericho and Benoit guy, did you say, going into this? Oh yeah. Amazing. So what was your can you remember a particular moment from that day? Obviously the the the, the main event just has captured your imagination, but the whole experience of going to a live show is is a fun one. Can you remember any other memories from that day? Oh man. Actually I was wrong. It wasn't Staples Center, it was Anaheim. So now I'm already ah. I'm already getting it wrong. <laughs> it's uh, been a long time. Yeah. I remember uh I remember uh I, Michael Cole and Taz's commentary was so weird. And I, and I don't know what it was about it that threw me off. And I think it was because I think they couldn't believe that Benoit and Jericho were in this match, especially when Jericho does the walls on edge on, on the double ladder configuration, like, man, there's just this, this like the commentary is fine, but just that imagery stands out in my mind of, you know, you have this shot of edge. Who's just like, screaming for dear life and Jericho obviously has that, you know, the, the walls locked in and there just there was something so momentous about it. You know, it, it just felt, I mean, I mean, when you have a TLC match take place, you know, especially during that era, right. There wasn't a pay-per-view happening once or twice a year. TLC matches were not a regular thing, right. You know, this was probably maybe the third or fourth one at this point. Um, and just, just, you know, I think you kind of said it best, right? Just being in the room and then they announce, oh, crap, it's a TLC match. You know, just the, the whole audience just erupting at all these explosive spots. And, you know, it. I don't know, man. That I, I couldn't tell you the matches before. I couldn't tell you, uh, you know, what even happened promo-wise. Uh, but I, I just remember... All like everyone was giving it their best. All so many spots that were back to back of people getting suplexed off and doing their finishers off, and and it just oh, God. And this just, is what a good wrestling match does. It, it does what it does to you now, Gerard. You can just see it. It just lights you up when you remember it. And that's and that's why I love doing this show is because we get some classics talked about that really resonate with people. You were ten yeah. years old when you went to this one. Do you remember what turned you on to being a wrestling fan? The Rock. Yeah, it was no, not the rock. The rock was the reason why I stayed. But the first mess, the first wrestling match I ever saw on television and what a one to get sucked into. It was shortly after I didn't know who Mick Foley was and Triple H had just beat him in hell in the cell. I believe it was supposed to be his retirement match. And I think it was a, a raw a week or two later where 
Jericho came out and challenged Triple H, and he won. He won the match, and Hebner counted the quick three, and the whole premise was Hebner messed up. Hebner messed up. It's it's his fault. He he counted too fast. And I just remember Jericho teasing Stephanie and getting away with it and Triple H getting mad and DX in the back getting getting hype about it. There was just this dynamic that was unfolding on TV. I didn't know what was going on. I had no clue. But Jericho's presence in the room and how he was fighting Triple H just kind of got kind of sucked me in. That and night then was the, amazing. Yeah, and then The Rock cut a promo. I saw The Rock's promo either that night or, or another Raw or SmackDown. And at first I was like, he keeps talking about himself in the third person. He keeps saying The Rock says, The Rock says, The Rock says. And I didn't understand. But what convinced me, and this is so true for the pandemic era of wrestling, right? The fans, they were eating it up. And I felt like I was missing something. I felt like, oh, I didn't, I didn't know what they were going on about. And then he started getting more heated and started getting, you know, faster with his insults. And immediately I just I I fell in love with The Rock. The Rock to this day is my is my all-time favorite wrestler. It has been my dream to meet him, to work with him. Uh I I don't know how or why. I just saw Jungle Cruise last night. Like I I am in to everything that man does. If he, I would rather he be president 10 times before Trump. I don't care. I want the rock hands down. There is a, there is a push to, to make him the next president. I keep seeing it pop up every so often. The the TV show that he's doing about himself is literally that (laughs) storyline. Like it's, if he's not telling us in some way or another, we're all crazy, right? Like he's, it's constantly being talked about. Uh, you say like you became a, we all have like a lapsed fan, pardon, you all have like a lapsed fan period. Um, mm-hmm. Was it a case of the, the the product didn't just didn't tickle your fancy anymore? Or was it more just a case of other things came along that distracted you? Um, I think it was a few things. The, the first thing was uh, I, I really loved Evolution and I loved Batista and I loved uh, Guerrero, Eddie Guerrero. I, I love the brand split. You know, I loved how you had Angle and Edge and their up and comings. And I, I really loved the characters they were bringing to the table. But one by one, my favorites were disappearing, right? The Rock went to Hollywood. Stone Cold retired. Uh, you know, uh, uh, Jericho kind of pieced out. Uh, you know, I, I started losing my my core uh, people and I and I, I love John Cena, but I wasn't a John Cena guy by any means. And that's kind of when the Cena push started. And uh, I think that plus um, school and going into high school and and just being too busy with life, I think those two things kind of connected. I didn't watch the product, but I read all of the results. I, I'd go on to WWE.com in the evening and I'd read the match results. And if the matches were something special, I would then go watch the match. But nine out of 10 times, the matches weren't anything to, to write home about. And so at least in my opinion. And so um, that's kind of when I stopped. I, I just kind of walked away from it. And, uh, you know, I, I was trying to become an actor at the time. I wanted to, you know, not, not I couldn't be a sports entertainer because of health problems, but if I could have been, I would have immediately gone to wrestling school out the gate. I would have trained. I would have 
tried to have been in the WWE or or whatever it was around at the time. Uh, but yeah, I, I think that's kind of where I fell out. It was it was the combination of ruthless aggression kind of getting a little bit stale on me and just kind of life getting in the way. Tom, if I'm talking too much, please tell me to shut You're up. Doing I do not, not want to hog the air. <laughs> this is this is your show. I'm just sat here just just firing questions to get you to talk. Honestly. <laughs> You're talking. If not, if anything, you're not talking enough. Um, <laughs> what 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 inspired you to want to go into acting? Out of interest. Yeah. So uh, a big reason for me is that uh, I was born with a really rare health problem. I have this disease or this blood disease called blue rubber bleb nevis syndrome, and it sounds like a Harry Potter spell. It probably <laughs> is. Basically, uh, my body is trying to create new veins throughout its systems. It's trying to make new veins, and what happens instead? because I, you can't make veins, uh, my body then creates tumors, just these benign tumor blood vessels that has, uh, and I have a gigantic one in my lower spine, and I've had to get tons of corrective procedures and surgeries and operations. And so uh, I come from a family of big guys, and I wanted to play sports. I wanted to do football. I wanted to do soccer. Um, I really, really wanted to be athletic, and I just couldn't be. And uh, I, I saw the WWE as like the beginning of that journey of like, oh, dude, like if only I, you know, if only I can perform that way. But I think after seeing so many managers and people like Eric Bischoff just talk on the mic and I just kind of realized like, well, the acting part is, is intriguing to me. The performance part is what really sells me as these characters and, and, and wrestling was kind of the gateway for me to be an actor. And so I realized, oh, acting is like wrestling, but with no physicality. And so that's kind of what started it. And uh, very, very quickly, I, I fell in love with it. I wanted to be an actor and a performer and an improv comedian. I, I just, I was so captivated by it. And suddenly, you know, I almost looked at, at actors like my favorite wrestlers where I would go, oh, dude, Pacino can act his way out of anything. And, uh, you know, I, I Del Toro can, or not Del, uh, Benicio Del Toro, he could, he's one of my favorites. And um, even like Sally Fields and, and, and you know, um, Julia Roberts, just these, these uh, great actors across the board that I just was like, I want to do that. They're transforming themselves and becoming new people. And uh, it just became a passion. And then I went to school for it. I graduated for it. And very quickly, I, I lost that passion because I realized the scope of the acting industry in Los Angeles was just wasn't for me. And it wasn't like, a, oh, I took my ball and went home. It wasn't like, oh, I didn't get cast. I was getting cast in all kinds of small roles on, as extra work and, 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 you know, as silent acting partners amongst main actors in films and TV. But I just kind of saw myself. I was like, oh, I'm always going to be just another actor, just a guy in the background. And I, I didn't want that for myself. And so that's kind of when I turned to YouTube and everything else just kind of spiraled from there. I remember you saying in another interview that um, you'd, you were working as a PA and you kind of had that moment where you said, I've got to do this, like drive people places and get people coffee for the next few years before people might even think to look at me. And, and, and it's weird how there's a contrast between that and, and the YouTube thing, because uh, in, in Hollywood, where you are, the, act, the acting scene is so, uh, it, it's, it's so large, it's swollen with people who want to get on. And I think YouTube is, is a similar place. But when you were starting out, it was kind of, it wasn't a ghost town, but there wasn't as much going on, was there? 
There was no one. Mm. It was literally AVGN, Angry Video Game Nerd, John Tron, Peanut Butter Gamer, myself, some of the guys from that guy with the glasses. And that was it. You know, it was it was a very empty space. You know, when we say it was the wild, wild west, it was an empty wild, wild west. There wasn't really a lot of people. And, you know, it kind of took, you know, those people I just mentioned to kind of start the revolution of game reviews and and game insight. And then, of course, we saw the rise of the Let's Players and and from there just kind of expanded and expanded in video essays and long form essays. And, and now everyone out there is, is doing it. You know, there's thousands of creators all over the world doing this. And I think that's the thing I admire the most, you know, is that like I was a part of that history for better or for worse. People may not have watched, people may not watch my content or know who I am, but they have heard of me and they do know of certain creators that kind of circle me and, and, and float around me in that way. And, and that to me is almost more than enough. You know, I don't need you to like my content or me as a person, but if you know me and you acknowledge me as a person that that means more to me than anything else. So, you know, I think, I think I'm, I'm, uh, <laughs> I'm surprised. I'm not, I guess I'm not surprised, but I, you did your research. I, I, I wasn't expecting you to, uh, to know <laughs> that much about me. <laughs> uh, I, I'm, 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 I'm annoyingly thorough when I do these. <laughs> Annoying. I love that. I love that. And I want to get into a little bit more about um, about how you got started. So, some key moments for you getting started in a moment. But we've got to pick another match. We've got to get oh another match. So your second match. So we've got the T. We got the uh, the SmackDown TLC match. Born yeah. out of desperation. The the Chris's yeah. versus Edge and Christian versus the Hardys versus the Dudleys in SmackDown. What would you like your second match to be, Gerard? This one. This one might seem a, a little cliche, but I think with my age, as I've grown. I have a massive love and appreciation. It's weird. I love The Rock, but I love Stone Cold matches more. And I think that one, that WrestleMania with, with Bret Hart and Stone Cold where he passes out, that to me is is one of the most iconic. I mean, obviously it's so iconic, but um, Stone Cold's narrative and who he was as a person and and kind of where Bret Hart was in his career at the time, it just felt like there was a certain connection between the two of them. You know, I, I think like knowing that Stone Cold never gave up and and didn't tap, but just passed out, you know, I think that was the turn, right? Everyone always says like, you know, Bret won the match, but Austin won the war. You know, he got put over that night by losing which never happens. You know, that's a very rare thing where uh, uh, the wrestler who loses gets put over. It's always putting over the baby face or the hill, try, you know, being triumphant again. And so I, I just, that, that imagery of, of the blood coming down Austin's face and then him just going limp is, is just, that to me is telling a story. That's telling a story that has wonderful imagery that has a, a beginning, middle and end and I think that to me is storytelling through wrestling. You know, it's not just physical. It's not just cutting promos. It's a combination of everything. Can you remember where and when you saw that match for the first time? Uh, when I saw the first time I saw that match was I had just saw. It was right when Stone Cold turned heel before the TLC match. It was it was I think it was the WrestleMania the night after WrestleMania 
where where Stone Cold aligned himself with Vince. And I think I was at that Raw the next night because that was at Staples. And I think Stone Cold was in a steel cage match. And I remember going home that night going, has, that, has Stone Cold ever been like a bad guy before this? And I just started like searching and, and Googling Stone Cold's career because I realized that I didn't really know Stone Cold all that all that closely as a performer. You know, I when I was watching, the people that I saw every week was, you know, were the Dudleys, the Hardys, Edge and Christian, uh, uh, Crash Holly, Hardcore Holly, uh, The Rock, Triple H and Foley. Stone Cold wasn't around because he was out with his neck injury. And so, you know, when he came in at Backlash to help The Rock win the championship from Triple H, I was like, who the who the fuck was that? Why did that happen? And I had no context. And I was starting to get to know Stone Cold at that point. You know, I had a full year with him almost before he turned. And so I I I just kind of was searching online and eventually I kept reading on forums and stuff that like I just kept seeing Bret Hart Stone Cold, Bret Hart Stone Cold, Bret Hart Stone Cold. I didn't know who Bret Hart was. And so that's how I found out about the Montreal screw job. It's how I found out about his career at WCW. But then I found a still image, that still image of, of that's black and white. It's been used in so many promotions over the years of Stone Cold, his mouth open, mid-blood drip. That made me go and watch the match, just kind of going down that rabbit hole of research. It's great how you go, and, and I think a lot of people who discovered wrestling maybe around that time was like, oh, Steve Austin is a bad guy. That's a bit weird. When, like, ostensibly, he is a bad guy. Like, and, and the, it was a, the turn came about because people were just, would, were just falling in love with him. And, it's, and they got mm. to a point where we can't deny this any longer. And the, the, that double turn in the Bret Austin thing, and, and it's come up quite a few times on this show, and I'm delighted that it does because it is, it is, it's, it's not just a wrestling match. It's a story that is told mm. by two who are so good at it. And it's, in, and it's the nuance of it. It's, it's the fact that, as you say, it's the Austin didn't tap out. He passed out. It's mm-hmm. watching Bret get more and more flustered as the match goes on. And and so that when the turn happens, it's so it it's so beautifully woven, and it just feels so natural. And what's 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 funny is like there's so much that goes on in that final bit, and uh, what's forgotten about is that Ken Shamrock is the guest referee. <laughs> I was about to say he's almost invisible in the I match. I know. And he's like. He's like this huge MMA referee. His shirt doesn't fit him. And you're just like, get out of the way, Ken. <laughs> <laughs> Shoo! We want to watch this. What amazing, what amazing. And this is why this that was such a key moment, I think, because you had somebody from another another sport who was mm-hmm. kind of there to be like the 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 centerpiece of the match. And it, it couldn't have been any less in the background. And when we was he was on this show and we talked about it, and, and I said, like, it's does it frustrate you that you were kind of lost, you almost get lost in that. And I think just for him, it's just like being there is amazing. Like being in that. And and the bit at the end where like he he gets his bit with Bret Hart, he he take he grabs him and takes him to the ground and gets a massive pop. And yeah. they never really pulled a trigger on a Bret Hart Ken Shamrock feud. And that always really frustrated me. Because I'm like, well, that's you've got a nice that, thing there. That would have that would have been, as Vince says, money. That yeah, would have been money. Absolutely. It, w- it would have been so much money. Uh, yeah. to, to, so that would have been 1997. So where mm-hmm. would so where would Gerard have been in 1997? 
Oh man, nowhere near wrestling. Nowhere at that near point. wrestling at that point. I would. Yeah, have I was probably. Oh man, in 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 seven. Well, no, I guess I got my timeline. My time of when my age was. I was twelve when I saw that match, the TLC match, which would have made mm. me about nine or so, around when the match with Stone Cold and Shamrock happened. Right. So um, you were still growing up at home. You were st- and and what mm-hmm. was with the dream? Was the dream still being an actor when you were when you were that age, or did you not really know? You, you, I didn't know at all. Yeah. I think I think I think when I was fourteen and just starting to fall out with wrestling, mm. fourteen or fifteen, that's when like the dream of acting kind of started taking off. Mm. Uh, but yeah, definitely. You know, I have to give WWE as credit as to why I became so fascinated with the whole process. Uh, which is funny because when I started doing YouTube and and all that stuff, I just kind of got disconnected from it. You know, I just like kind of forgot it existed. But I was always reminded of it because I still bought the wrestling games because the games were still fun. You know, I loved uh, Raw versus SmackDown, and even I think I bought them up to 2007, and then I was like, okay, I think I'm done. But I had Here Comes the Pain, Just Bring It, uh, SmackDown you know, 2006, like those, those games were all just so good. I mean, what, what would you say is, is, is the best of that genre and the worst of that genre as, as, as a video game and a wrestling fan, this is a pertinent question. Okay. When you say best and worst, are we talking like to, to that specific era or like globally up to today? Globally up to today. I I mean, I think maybe of an era because you could easily just go, well, WWF Steel Cage Challenge for the NES is pretty bad. Mm-hmm. But then probably of its time, actually, no, of its time, it was pretty bad as well. Now I think about it. <laughs> 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 it's just bad all around. Gosh. Um, but personally, what would you say is one of the worst ones that at least you've you've played? Okay. I, th- I mean, like, I, 2K20 is, this... is the obvious answer, but I wonder if there's anything more so. Okay, I'm I'm going. I'm, I don't want to say 2K20. Okay. What I want to say is the generation of the 2K games in general. Mm-hmm. I okay. So during the pandemic, I started watching wrestling a ton. I you know subscribed to the network, started watching all the documentaries, and I I had just done the video with Woods on uh, Raw versus SmackDown, the original. And that made me go, oh, I should like check out the new games. And so I went ahead and I bought 2K19. And immediately I was like, wow, this is not this is not very good. And there's a certain level of gotcha here that's not real. And I owned t- uh, 2K20 because I did a like, top 10 worst. And at the time it was one of the worst, but I kept, you know, I'm a huge fan of, all right, it's been six, eight months. Let's go take a look at that game again. And they fixed a lot of what was wrong with 2K20 for the most part. But how bad 2K20 was made me go back to try 2K19, which made me go back to try 2K18, which made me go back to try 2K17. And all of them are steaming piles of horseshit. <laughs> All of them, like all of them are. And, and I, I say that with the utmost respect of they're not, it's not that they're horseshit because like they're bad again. They're, they're designed very poorly from menus to progression to like the, the most fun is the wrestling, obviously, mm. but that is such a small portion of the experience in 2k 20. If you want to unlock any of the content, 
It costs money, but not money you use in real life, fake in-game currency money that you can't purchase with real money. Everything costs something. And the overall cost efficiency for anything is so wasteful. Like if you think back to WWE 2, or if you think back to Raw versus SmackDown, you do challenges and you do these specific challenges and, and, and things in career mode that unlock packs that have everything from taunts to music to Titantron to costumes. And by the time you've put in 20, 30 hours in the game, you've unlocked everything. And you can have, you can make your wrestler and you can have that perfect experience. I've invested personally in the pandemic over 275 hours into WWE 2K20. And I am still nowhere near to completion. I'm nowhere near it. This is the curse of being the completionist. But this is the thing. This is no longer like, a oh, I hate my job. This is a, I need to find out. I need to go down the rabbit hole. I need to see how long it's going to take me because this is a problem. This is a problem that's not self-correcting. It's a problem that's getting worse from year to year. The WWE universe is getting screwed out of money every single year for these games. And to make it all relevant, more than three-fourths of the rosters are no longer current because oh. Vince keeps firing them. <laughs> I so can't look- wait for the roster for the new game to come out. It's like, who is, <laughs> who is in this game? Like, who is going to be in 2K22? No one knows. I feel like a lot like, of wrestlers are going to get, instead of a redundancy package, they're just going to get a royalty check for being in a game that, for a yeah. company they're no longer Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two year contracts, they said, What the f? are you talking about you insane hollywood ass so to recap we're cutting the price of mint unlimited from 30 dollars a month to just 15 dollars a month give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch 45 dollars up front for three months plus taxes and fees promote for new customers for limited time unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows full terms at mintmobile.com ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row dreaming of something better well hello fresh is your guilt-free dream come true baby it's me geeky palmer Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Part of. Yeah. Oh, it's just and amazing. <laughs> yeah. So, in terms of like the worst of the worst, I have to say. 17, 18, 19, 20 of the 2K series is pretty rough. Um, my favorite one, uh, I, I feel like it's too easy to say no mercy. That's the answer that everyone but it's, wants. But it's, the right, but it's the right answer. That or here comes the pain. They're the right answers. <laughs> the, those two games, man, you just, you feel this connective energy to them. They, they feel like they were made by a team that shouldn't have made those games. You know, they felt like rock and roll punk rock stars that were like, we're going to make a wrestling game. And 
it feels a little disjointed, right? Like some of the stuff is a little over the top and sexist and outdated because that's what the Attitude Era was. But it doesn't matter because the mechanics are good. The music is good. You feel like you're a WWE superstar of the time. And, uh, you know, and those little jingles, those little hips, like I always remember like dick, dick, diggity, dick, diggity dog. Yeah. And and you hear the rock going is cooking. And you're like, I don't know who made that or why, but like it's in my brain now when I think of no mercy and like you can go for any championship and you can put people to the announcer's table. And that was a big deal. And there's tables. Like, I don't know. There was just something where I think because it showed us what the N64 could do past the evolution of uh, WCW versus NWO and, and revenge and WrestleMania 2000, right? We saw what no mercy was and what it kind of established and then we jumped over to this PlayStation era of wrestling where it became Here Comes the Pain, Just Bring It, uh, and then Raw versus SmackDown. And you kind of could see, like, okay, they took what was great in this one and they continued it. And it's the kind of thing where, like, you know, WrestleMania 2000, No Mercy, those games walked so that 2K could then sprint and eat shit at the Olympics. You know what I mean? That's kind of... That's kind of what happened. <laughs> no, no Mercy walked so 2K could crash into a fence. <laughs> Am I right in thinking that the Game Grumps met for the first time at your house? Yes, that is true. Yeah. I, I was there. I, that was when my career started. That was exactly where it started. So uh, in 2011, uh, I had just, uh, I was like coming terms with my job at Best Buy. I, I was, I was, uh, I reached a point, right? I had given up acting. I just graduated from school. I quit my PA job in the film I was working on. And I told myself, I'm going to become a gaming expert at Best Buy. Like I saw myself getting really comfortable selling video games. I got this weird high about selling games and interacting with customers. And I got a little too comfortable. I was there for five years. And so this is my fifth year. And there was a promotion available to be the supervisor of the gaming department. And everyone around me was encouraging me like, dude, you're perfect for it. You know, video games. You're very personable with your acting talent. Like this is the way to go. And so I went insane, right? I I was the kind of guy that figured out how to pre-order games at Best Buy when no one else did. And I would get people excited for games. And uh, and I was learning how to stream and and play games and record games when no one else was. You know, I we were I was streaming on UStream and and Justin.tv before Twitch was even created. And so uh in my time at Best Buy, uh, I, I didn't get the promotion, and uh, I got into a nasty argument with a with an with a manager that made me leave the company. But the couple of days before that happened, uh, John Jafari calls me and goes, "Hey, uh, I am having friends over at my house. These people are strangers I've never met before. My parents won't let them come over." but these people are really cool. Can they come over to your house and can we hang out and stream? Cause he knew I was streaming and because my parents were out of town and I had this house to myself, I was like, yeah, no problem. Bring them on over. And so the next thing I know you have Dodger from press start to continue. And you've got Aaron Hansen of, of Eagle Raptor come over. And the two of them were the nicest people on planet earth to this day. The two of them are one of my closest friends that I've have, uh, grown from this business and really worked with. And 
uh, they didn't, they don't know me. You know, I wasn't, I wasn't like a, a weird fanboy. I was a random dude in the house that just had them over and, uh, their kindness and their, their ability to listen and, and to give advice. And they saw something in me that I wasn't seeing and, and their encouragement is what made me start the completionist. And, and I would ask them questions and, and they gave me that support. And at the time I was helping John with John Tron videos. You know, I was, I was the camera guy. Uh, if you pay attention, you can see me in the reflection. Sometimes most of his equipment was my equipment. So I was filming a lot of it. Um, I cameo in some of them. If you're into the so- the weird Sonic trilogy, I'm in one of those videos. Um, and so, you know, that was the first day that they met. Uh, and so I was kind of there for when they all kind of, when, when they met and, and it was the beginning of, of what Game Grumps ended up uh, starting out to be. From so that was what really gave you the impetus to to launch and do your own thing. And the the, the schedule that you cut, you were working seven days a week putting videos together for for well over a year. What was the mm-hmm. moment? Was there a moment where you realized uh, this is starting to click now? Because it wasn't instant, was it? It wasn't overnight. No. I think I think the general. I think a lot of people start channels now and even now just go. I'm just going to make some videos. And it'll be fine. But but even for yourself, who was was giving it every hour of the day, it took a while, didn't it? Oh yeah. It was do or die. It, it definitely was do or die. Uh, I quit Best Buy. I spent all my money on the equipment I needed to make the show. And I made the first episode and that first episode within the first week got like, I think almost half a million views to a million views by the end of the year. And that happened because of the friends I made, you know, back in the day, if a YouTuber liked or commented on a video that would make a person's career. And so, you know, Aaron liked the video, Peanut Butter Gamer liked the video, PBG liked the video, Dodger liked the video, The Warp Zone and Jesse Cox and all these guys were liking and commenting on this first video that I did. And immediately, like, I want to say a star was born because of it. You know, I went from having zero subscribers to almost having 6,000 overnight. And so back in the day, you know, that, that meant a lot, right. And getting a hundred thousand subscribers back then was like getting a million, million and a half. And so that fueled me to go, Oh, I'm onto something. I'm doing this right. I made one video and it did really, really well. Now I'm going to keep doing it. And so I made my second video. I learned from a lot of my mistakes. I, I, I got rid of some of the more edgy humor that I wasn't really comfortable with. I got rid of some of the swearing and that video did not perform well. It it performed not even at 10% of what I was used to from the first video. And I'm so glad that happened because that taught me, oh, not every video I'm going to make is going to be supported by all my friends. And it's also not going to be the next big thing. And immediately my mind shift was, well, if it's not going to be the next big thing yet, what if I become the next big thing over the course of several months to years? And so to me, it was like, put in the work, put in the work, put in the work, put in the work, make a video, make a video. People show up to believe in the product. The product will grow. Word of mouth will grow. And I, I did that. And my schedule literally was Friday, pick a game Friday, Saturday, Sunday, complete said game Monday, Tuesday, write the script, voice the script Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, edit, edit, edit effects, intro, outro done Friday morning episode airs Friday night, pick another game. And I did that for three and a half years straight without stopping. It was just my commitment to what I was doing because I believed in so much of what I was doing. And I didn't make any money for those first few years. It was, it was really hard. We, we, we didn't make anything at all. 
And it wasn't until I got, I, I made my first fan mail video where I went to my PO box and was flooded with, with dozens of items. And I, re- I had these letters and I have a binder in my office. That's every, every fan letter ever sent to me. Uh, every collectible that it's been, that everything has been given to me by a fan is on my set somewhere in the office. And I just started collecting these personalized treasures and that to me was worth it. You know, that, and that it still is worth it. I don't get as much uh, fan mail like I used to mostly because I don't advertise my PO box as much, but that to me was the turning moment of, I don't give a shit about the money. I care about the people who are invested. And that to me just made me go, the money will come. The money will come. And uh, if I had one regret about, about my career, it's that I wasn't aggressive enough to getting the money to come sooner. I could have been doing more brand deals and getting more sponsorships early on. And I felt like if I had done that, I would have probably expanded my career a lot faster. Um, but I don't regret the journey that I took just because uh, I have some of the best people in the world. I have fans that I've been friends with for nine years at this point who I talk to on a weekly basis, who are helping me with my discords and my, my Twitch streams and such. And, you know, that loyalty is something that, you know, you can't make up, you know, you, you can't really, you know, conjure it in the air like that. So I'm very lucky and fortunate that, you know, that I've had this long journey this way. Well, you, you, you'd say like you could have done more brand deals when you do, when you work in seven days a week, like you can't make more days. And in those three and a half years, how did you cope with, with burnout i mean is that something that you still suffer with now uh yes uh the burnout is i didn't i and i still to this day you know i i think this year was the first time i took substantial time off from from doing what i do uh in around february from february until may i took my my first true vacation i say but really it was health problems it was going to the doctor's and taking care of a lot of the surgeries and stuff that I've been putting off for a while. Um, but I never, I never uh, stopped to smell the roses, if you will. I, I just kept going the whole time. There was no burnout in my eyes. I felt the burnout physically, uh, financially, and mentally. But uh, to bring it back down to wrestling, uh, and people can call me egotistical all you want, uh, I view the completionist as an undisputed championship of a show. And, and to me, every episode is me defending the title. And so that's why I've been doing it for so long because anyone can be a completionist. Anyone can complete a game, can speed run a game. People beat me at games all the time in races and fighting games. And I don't care because no one can be me and and own the responsibility of what I've created in the team that I've created in the show that I've created. And so that to me is the drive really is, is this, this weird thing of like, I'm the, I'm the completionist champion and I have to keep, you know, my title reign running as strong as I can. And hopefully by, by doing that, that people will still, you know, want to watch and, and join me on this 10 year title reign. <laughs> 
<laughs> well, you're defending against more people now than ever because the oh, YouTube yeah. game in the 10 years, like now it's it's so, and, and we feel it as well because, you know, there's a lot of other channels that do what we do. That's not a secret. And it's trying to find ways to constantly innovate and uh, and renovate and, and, and move things along. But not only are you up against other people doing what you do, but you're up against the, the almighty algorithm that just mm. kind of changes depending on what Keith YouTube feels like changing it to that day. Um, yeah. How how are you coping with with all of that now? Because obviously your journey has has been uh, it's been ten years in the making to get to this point. And how are you coping with the, the ever changing landscape of YouTube? By giving it a middle finger whenever I can. Excellent. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, I I try so hard to to be stubborn about it because you know uh, we're we're at this point in the YouTube gaming space where retro games are dying. You know, retro games started the revolution on YouTube, and now what we're seeing is a massive dip in, in, in retro content, or rather retro content is now changing. You know, NES, SNES, Genesis, uh, Dreamcast, that's not really retro anymore to the core audience on YouTube. What is retro, which is weird to say, is GameCube, PlayStation yeah. 2, original Xbox, uh, in a makes couple you of sick, years, doesn't it? it makes you sick. <laughs> yeah. PlayStation three is a right. And, and Nintendo Wii and, and Xbox 360 are right on the precipice of what re retro gaming is. And so for me, it's about, uh, creating moments where I can feel at peace with what I'm doing. So a lot of my schedule kind of is as follows. Uh, I try and do one to two new game a month. And if it's not a new game, new-ish game, a game that I missed in the last few months, maybe within the last year or so, and those videos are very hit and miss. They could get 300,000 views. They could get 120,000 views. It does, it, who knows? And then we have our evergreen titles, your Marios, your Zeldas, your Sonics, uh, your Dark Souls, stuff that our, my audience knows me for, JRPGs, your Final Fantasies, where... I know people will show up because those franchises are important to them and they constantly come back. And those are kind of our safety tent poles. And then we have our wildcard episodes and those wildcard episodes are my favorite because I don't give a shit about what happens to the views. <laughs> I, I don't care. It's me going, this video is, I'm and, and I jokingly say this now, but it's becoming more and more true with my age. I no longer make videos for me. I don't make videos for my fans. I make videos for other content creators. Okay. My goal is to entertain my friends. My goal is to entertain the community at large that I really respect because those are the people who I talk to and communicate with and watch. And if I can get a good friend of mine to go, dude, that video on no more heroes blew my dick off. Then that makes it <laughs> worth it. Not making any money, you know, <laughs> impressing my friends or, or, or colleagues that I respect and love and trust. That to me means so much more than the paycheck at the end of the day. And luckily, because I've been around for so long and my name has a lot of weight in the, in the influencer space, I can negotiate brand deals with those videos. So, you know, it's like this episode's brought to you by this Japanese game you don't give a shit about. They're paying me a lot of money <laughs> and you guys are going to watch this video anyway. So ignore the ad, but check out why i fucking love grandia one like let's let's go so i'd love to do a raid shadow legends thing <laughs> 
I, dude, every so often I'll start a, a, a Cultaholic news video saying it's sponsored by Raid Shadow Legends when it's not. Every so often I'll yeah. tweet this Sunday morning sponsored by Raid Shadow Legends. I'm hoping one day they might just go, all right, if you play it, will you shut up about us? Yes, I will. Please. Just say, Come all, on. all the cool kids are doing it. I want to yeah. do it. Raid Shadow Legends, where are you at? Yes. Use, co use code Cultaholic to get 500,000 silver. Let's yes. do it. Oh, I've I've built Steven the Wonder Elf. <laughs> Isn't he brilliant? Let's go fight. Seriously, though, it's a great game. Come and join me on there. I'll play it at some point when I'm on the toilet. Raid Shadow yes. Legends. <laughs> Perfect endorsement. <laughs> yes. Just click that go. off. Send it sign to, me up. Send it to Alan Raid. <laughs> he yes. Can, he can sign I'm up on that. I'm using code Cult as we speak yes! i'm already in i'm already in that's it that's what we like that's what we like yes we um oh i want before we go on to we've got two more questions i want to ask you and it's and the sure. last one is the um the the third and final match but uh your channel has expanded so much you've got some amazing people that work with you who are some of the unsung heroes behind the scenes at the completionist oh my goodness what a what a wonderful question to ask um a lot of people don't know this. If you're a fan of the show and you've heard me talk about it on, on the side channels or on other people's podcasts, you might know the number. I always say there's 20 people who work on, for, for uh, my company, which is that one video entertainment, which is a, a subset of my YouTube channel, that one video gamer. Um, but really almost everyone at the company is an unsung hero. The amount of blood, sweat and tears that we all collectively put in, uh, that and no one knows these people's names. You know, I have a huge credits list, and I'm always thanking my writers, and I'm giving them bonuses and and rewards as much as I can along the way. Um, but I, if there was like, if there was one person who I could give like a, a gigantic golden trophy to, it'd be to my editor Patrick Patrick uh, Stangling, who uh, he is the one. He is he is literally the only fan I've ever hired. I've never, hi I have a no fan policy just because I love working with people I grew up with, who I work with, who I trust and respect. And there's something about that fan energy that's always kind of off put me, you know, about uh, kind of being idolized by someone that you, that, that works for you. Cause there's not really a, a truth sensor, if you will. But Patrick, when I interviewed him just had this, uh, this nervous energy that he was like really excited to be there and he was shaking and he was sweating and he was so nervous, but he had this nice aura to him that I was like, I kind of want him to come back and, and see how he does. And so we invited him back to be an editor on my let's play channel, super beard brothers, which is still going to this day. And uh, he did a great job. He was really on time and punctual and he was still kind of scared of me and the team. And he was kind of like, I just want to do my job and, and move on. And, you know, and so after six months, I was like, Hey, your internship is up, but, do you want to like work here? He was like, I would love to work here. And I go, well, your attendance is kind of shit. You're not really communicating very well and your work's really good. And he's like, Oh, I'll be honest. I've been looking for other jobs. Cause I'm terrified of you and, and, and this company. And I, and I, I just want to do right. And I'm nervous that you guys are always going to let me go. And I was like, no, it's the exact opposite. I want to double down and invest in you. And the minute I said that he, it was a 180. He suddenly was like, Oh, so I'm going to put in all the blood, sweat, and tears that you are. And he immediately became my equal. He started completing games on his own accord so that when it's crazy, I'm completing the game for the footage and for the writing and the working, he's completing the same game at the same time just so that he understands my thought process. So when we're in the editing room, he knows how to edit the video. 
which is insane because I'm already doing the heavy fucking lifting. I'm writing and completing and working with sponsors and all this shit. And he's doing the same thing on his own. And he comes in, he's like, I'm ready to go. I'm ready to work. And he's been working with me for over six years now. The dude never runs out of energy. He has been on the same level of me. If I had to die right now and give someone the, the episode baton pass, the Olympic torch of the completion to someone, I'd give it to him 10 times over because he may not be me physically, but mentally and emotionally, he is so in tune with what this show is and he doesn't get enough credit. And uh, I, I wish people knew that. Like, they have no idea how much he gives a shit. He reads every comment. He logs every comment. And he he puts it in a, in a journal or in a binder or in a Google Doc. And he comes to the meeting on Monday and goes, hey, this is what I came to. And, and that is something that I never asked him to do. I never told him it was his job or his expectations. But he gives a shit that much. And that, to me, is the sign of a great worker. Someone who is like, seeing what you're doing and going, I'm not doing enough. I need to do more to help out. And that loyalty and trust is something that uh, I will always be grateful. That man saved my life time and time again until this day continues to carry my dead corpse of a body 10 years later through what the current (laughs) minefield of YouTube is. (laughs) It's great to have someone like that on your team. Yeah. And I'm glad that we can give him the spotlight today. I think that's important. Yeah, and I know he's a cultaholic fan, so I know he's watching this. So thank I you, sir. Thank the, you. I embarrassed the shit out of him. So <laughs> <laughs> thank you, you lovely sweaty man. Uh, <laughs> I'm sure you're not as sweaty. I'm sure it's fine. Before we get to your um, your final match, Gerard, another question we'd like to ask. I'll just bring it on people to get we get their sort of their their answer off the top of their head. As well yeah. as taking three wrestling matches, you can also take with you a movie, an album, and a luxury item. So um, a luxury item, that can be like something with some personal significance, something that uh, means a lot. It can be a bit of tech. It can be just something that you feel like you wouldn't want to be without. Um, So we'll get to that at the end. But if I said to you, you can take a movie with you, Gerard, what movie springs to mind? Back to the Future. Amazing. The first one? First one. Yeah. It's It's a perfect film. It's, it's, it's nearly perfect. It's like from a film analysis standpoint, from an acting standpoint, from a creation standpoint, it's perfect in my eyes. It's, it's, it's full circle. It's smart. It's, it's wholesome. Uh, it's got time travel. It's got stakes. You know, everything's very important to the movie. You know, every, every small character is connected to the Marty McFly timeline and then only gets expanded more in the second and third film that it's just, it's so incredibly smart. It's, it's so much more intelligent than anyone realizes. And I could, I could watch that movie 3000 times and still find something new to love about it. How about an album? What album would you take? An album that I, uh, I'm going, I, I don't remember the exact album, but I got to look up. No, I know the exact album. I would take, System of a Down's, I think it's Hypnotize. System of a Down uh, did two CDs back-to-back uh, before they retired. Is it Mesmerize it was, uh, and Hypnotize? Mesmerize and Hypnotize. Um, and I want to say it was... Uh, I got to look at the playlist before I, I make the call. Uh, it was the one that came before it. I want to say... Yeah, yeah, it was Mesmerize. Mesmerize was 
my is one of my favorite albums because every single song, while it is crazy and weird, uh, all of them have this creepily haunting connective tissue of a storyline narrative that's 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 kind of going through it, and uh, they're like metal pop songs. You know, there's something you'd hear on on the pop station. But you listen to it and you're like, that's not pop. That's 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 system. That's them. And uh, there's just something so raw about their performances on that album that uh, I could t- probably tell you every single song. Like I could read every, I could sing every lyric, every note. Um, I never get sick of it. It's, just, it's got good energy. It's got sadness. It's got sorrow. It's got rage. It's got humor. Uh, it, it's like a musical performance piece. Uh, like system of a down the musical, you know, it just feels so larger than life, which I really love. You wake up one morning, you're not quite the full ticket yet. You need a song from that album to, to lift you up and get you ready for the day. What song are you choosing? Radio video. Nice. It's uh, it's a weird song. Nah, my, that... my video. Da, 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 yeah. That's yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, it's like, it's like, you know, singing about Danny and Lisa on the radio. Like it's like it, the, the lyrics don't make sense, right? It's kind of like Pogo, right? Jump, Pogo, 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 Bounce, Pogo, Pogo, Pogo. You're like, this is crazy, but like, I am liking this. I get it. We're it's making fun. nice and noises. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. And 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 radio video, I, again, that to me is like, uh, it's like watching a crying clown do performative dance in a weird way where it's kind of tragic and weird, but funny. And you're kind of just like, you're kind of grooving with it. And that one always, that one always picks me up because I, again, it's like the unexpected of unexpected things to take place in that album. And a luxury item then, what would you take as a luxury item with you to a desert island? <sighs> luxury item. Am I by myself on this island or do I have guests? Now, I, I believe you're with the other 100 people who have who have also done this show. So I, I, sure. I, think, I think you're in company of like other wrestling folk. And Matt okay. McMuscles is there. So you can chat okay. with Matt McMuscles. Matthew sure. from Botchamania is there. You can chat with him. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and, and, and a lot of other random wrestlers too. Okay. It, so I imagine that I'm going to go under the pretense that a lot of those guys probably have gaming consoles or some kind of uh, entertainment system set up for them. I'm going to go a little more on the analog side. I'm going to bring with me Liar's Dice. What's Liar's Dice? Liar's Dice, uh, it's, uh, it's, I don't know if it's like from the Wild West specifically. It's in Red Dead Redemption. Uh, I know it mostly from uh, Pirates of the Caribbean, but uh, the, the second film. And essentially what Liar's Dice is, is you have four or five people in the room and you all have cups and you have five dice and you put it down and then you all go around and you bet how many of the dice in play have the number two or three or six. And you all bet out of all the players like, okay, there's at least four sixes here. Then someone says, I think there's five fours. And then you have to either, you have to up the number on the die or the amount of die. And then, you know, when you get to the high point, you know, if there's six people playing and there's five dice, you know, you're looking at 30 dice in play, you get to the higher numbers. It's like, I don't think there's 12 sixes underneath out of all of us. And so I call you a liar and we all take our cups off to reveal how many dice there actually are. And uh, it's just, it's just fun. It's an analog game of, of lying and, and stealing in a way that 
uh, you get you just get to know someone really quickly. You know, it's it's a really cool personality bending game, and I always think that's the great way to meet someone is to play a board game or or some kind of one on one competitive uh, game like that, where you're just kind of getting to know the person for who they are and not because of the items they have on them. Have you live streamed Liars Dice? No, but man, I, I've been, uh, I had some friends over a couple of weeks ago, uh, and I, I busted out my Pirates of the Caribbean Liars Dice. And we probably went for about four or five hours and it's, you know, <laughs> it's not a, a crazy complicated game. It's not like a, a masterpiece, but, uh, you know, it, it's just fun. You know, it, it's like, it's like poker. It's, you know, it's easy, easy to pick up and it's a good time to play. Okay. Nice one. So we, and it's nice to have an analog game. I think a lot of people are bringing handheld games, so it's nice. Um, yeah. okay. Your third and final match then Gerard, uh, we've had the trying the, the four way ladder match from SmackDown, uh, Austin and Hart from WrestleMania 13. What would you like your last one to be, sir? I'm going to try and go with something modern. That is a match. I probably think about once a week because of one specific moment. And that is, is the tag team Hell in the Cell championship match between the Usos and the New Day in Hell in the Cell. There, there's a moment in that match where the Usos put Woodsy in that kendo stick contraption where they pin him against the wall and they just wail on him and he makes this this look on his face it's like this this stinging pain and and woods is so good at selling that i always get concerned when i see him because like he's so good at selling those hits and in that match specifically it's almost like like you saw a bunch of wrestlers having fun playing you know like chop smacking and then someone like messed up and actually made them bleed during the chop process. And everyone was like, okay, let's stop. Like, let's, let's stop the match. This was, this was a joke and they just keep going. And you're like, no, seriously, you can stop. Like, don't hurt yourselves. And they just kept going and they kept going and they kept going. And that, that match is like one of the, the top tier matches that I've, uh, I guess it's the PG era or the modern day era. I don't, I don't know the eras as much as I used to in that way, but uh, yeah, I just, there's something, something about that match that just sticks out to me. And I think it's the way that wood sells. It's just, he looks like he's in so much pain. And when I, I, I saw that match for the first time during the pandemic last year and I texted him right away and I was like, Holy shit. Like, Oh my God, that was incredible. And I just was like, were you, are you okay? And he just wrote back, the kendo sticks hurt a lot. And I, that's exactly what I thought. Like that's exactly like I knew it. He did. He didn't need to say it. I just, I, I saw his expression. I was like, that's, I felt the text message come through. I was like, Oh, I, I could, I could hear the kendo sticks cracking against his skin. You said, you said <laughs> earlier on that it was the new day that brought you back to wrestling. Mm-hmm. Uh, what was it? What was it that you saw from the new day that, that brought you back? Um, I was on Twitter one day. And uh, Final Fantasy was trending. And I was like, oh, is, is there more news? Is Final Fantasy 15 coming? Is there a remaster or a port that I care about? And I saw WWE was trending. And I was like, those are two things I never thought I would ever see trend. And uh, the New Day just won a match. 
and Woods is holding Francesca, and he just goes, and my mind just went, what? <laughs> like, did a wrestler just play the Final Fantasy victory theme on on television? And I, I, I immediately just started researching. I was like, who is this guy? Who is the New Day? And I just kept seeing all of their intros and... Like I, I, I was infatuated with them. I love their presence and their vibe. And as I sort of watched like I, it, you know, Woods, Woods specifically got me to watch the product again. And he started doing these promos where he has like has his 3ds and he's talking about conventions he's going to. And I'm like, this dude's a YouTuber. This dude's a gamer. He's like, He's like doing an ad brand deal at his job about his own gig. (laughs) And it's a part of his character and gimmick and no one's stopping him. He's just doing it. And I'm sitting here going like, hello, (laughs) Vince, are you seeing this? Any is this man's just doing this and we're okay with it. Like, holy crap. And then he did hot pepper gaming. And I am good friends with the team that used to produce Top Pepper Gaming. And he set the bar so high in Hot Pepper Gaming. He set the bar so high. He started reviewing one game, got to the end of it, and was like, screw it, pulled out another habanero, started reviewing Mario Kart Double Dash out of the blue, got to the end of that review and said, we're doing it one more time took another habanero and started reviewing nights in the dreams. He ate three <laughs> habaneros in less than five minutes. And I'm sitting there and I'm like, this dude, he's a wrestler. He's a gamer. He's an entertainer. And now he comes on my show where I have been the king many a time, eating the hottest pepper, the Carolina Reapers and the habaneros ruining my stomach lining. And he shows up and in my eyes cut one of the best damn promos ever in the history of YouTube when it comes to elevating the game. And immediately I made it my goal to get to know him. I was like, this dude and I have got to be friends. And selfishly speaking, I was annoying. I was that guy (laughs) that if Woods tweeted, I was there. I was at fan meetups. I was seeing him. And I, I like creeped too much on that fan zone. You know, I was like, Hey, Hey. And eventually I could tell he was like, this guy just doesn't stop. Does he? And I was, and that made me go, Okay, I gotta stop. This is too much. I, I gotta like I gotta I gotta ease off the gas. And so I let off the gas. And eventually our mutuals just started slowly connecting us together where we went we met in a more private and more like one-on-one setting. And immediately we connected instantly in a in a personal manner. And every we 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 had this hello goodbye relationship where we go to so many conventions and shows together where we're both guests. Sometimes we're on panels together. And we never get to talk to each other or hang out afterwards. And so uh, it was at the top of the pandemic where he came to LA and we finally did a video together. We did both SmackDown versus Raw and uh, double Mario Kart Double Dash together because I know those are two of his favorite games as of mine. And we hung out for like 12, 15 hours and it was so fun. It was just such a good time getting to know him and spend time with him. And then fast forward to G4 getting re-announced and and them announcing hosts and you know austin creed xavier woods is the first host announced and he gets announced and when he got announced i was shitting bricks because i was interviewing for a job to be the next host at g4 
So I had this like, yo, he and I are going to be tag team champions, dude. Like we're <laughs> going to get together and make gaming content. And like, it's going to be full circle. And uh, it took a long, a long time of negotiating and, and, and figuring things out. But uh, when I finally was about to announce to the world, uh, I sent him a text that was just a photo of the G4 logo. And I was like, I'll see you soon, brother. And he just wrote back, yo, like in all caps. And it, you know, it was, uh, it was like that moment from work or that, that, uh, that Thor Ragnarok moment where, you know, Thor is like, yes, it's my friend from work. When he sees the Hulk, it was like, that <laughs> I, know him. I know him. Yeah. And so immediately, you know, and it, it's, it's such an honor to know him and, and to see his body of work. And it's so interesting because, uh, I get to see almost three different sides of him. I don't know him all that well personally, but uh, seeing him as an entertainer, seeing him as a, a YouTuber and a gamer and seeing him as a person, they're all the same thing, but he's just so personable and he cares. And 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 knowing that about him, that has like made me invested in what he and his team are doing across, up, up, down, down. You know, uh, he introduced me to Adam Cole and uh, I didn't know who Adam Cole was. I had no idea who he was at all. And I played a round of Among Us with him. And uh, he was, I just laughed the entire time. And Cesaro, the same thing. Swiss, I just was ha- hanging out with these guys, getting to know him. Like, oh, these are great guys. And then I went down the rabbit hole and I was like, oh my God, Cesaro is so talented. Adam Cole, Adam Cole, Bay Bay, holy shit. I like, and, and, and it's nuts now. Cause I know I, you know, Adam and I talk fairly often and probably more than Woods and I do honestly. And that dude is, is the kindest man on planet earth. And um, he said something to me that, that validated my career so much that I'll never forget. And I hope, I hope he doesn't see this and get mad that I said this, but I had to share because it, it, it like I teared up when I saw it and Adam sent me a text one day and was like, Hey man, I didn't get to tell you this, but like when I was in the indie scene trying to, you know, get into the big leagues, uh, I would watch your videos on the bus and my brother and I would talk to you, talk about your videos all the time. And that hit me so hard in the heart and stomach, you know, that like I was struggling to make a living and thinking that no one was watching and no one gave a shit about me in this YouTube space Meanwhile, Adam Cole over here is doing the exact same thing in his own world. And he had this like admiration for me. And like that, that just changed my entire perspective on, on how all of this works. And, and you, you just never know who's watching. You never know who cares and who, who's there to support you. And uh, it was just such a defining moment for me when he, when he shared that with me. And I hope he's not mad at me that I shared that, but it, it meant a lot. You know, it was, it was almost like he gave me an autograph in a way. And uh yeah, I'll, I'll never forget that as long as I live. That, that just meant a lot to me. It's a special moment of validation. As you say, it's, it's sometimes it's not about how many people are watching, but who could be watching. Yeah. And, just that, like that that. Is, and, and, and that's why I say that I make my content for my friends. Hmm. Because if, if my friends call me and say, hey, great video this week, it was worth it. It was worth the 300 hours I put into this shitty game that no one cares about, you know? Uh, if I entertain someone I care about, that means more to me than, than people making fun of me or putting me down or anything like that. And, uh, it's, it's been, uh, an amazing time to entertain, be entertained by you for the last hour. 
so thank you so much. I, did I entertain you? I hope I entertained you. I, I just a, felt like all, I was it's all right. <laughs> I felt like I was just screaming at you the whole time. Honestly, I, and again, you know, like I'm I'm not an indie wrestler on a bus. Uh, I'm a, a I'm a wanker from the UK sat in a coffee shop watching The Completionist. So thank Dude. you very much for. For, for all you've done, seriously. Right? Thank, thank you. I uh, I have to say thank you for your work because I didn't tell you this either, but I got deep down the rabbit hole of Cultaholic in the last 18 months. Uh, and so when you reached out and you were like, hey, do you want to do this? I was like, uh, fuck yeah, I do. Like immediately. Uh, you guys are a part of my my morning routine. You know, I wake up and I'm, I'm getting ready for work and boom, I, I put you guys on and it gets me up to speed and uh, I feel like I have a different perspective and it's, it's, it's a part of my lexicon, man. I go to work, I put the podcasts on, like that's, that's where it's at, my dude. Bless you. Thank you. Uh, that means loads. Thank you. Thank you very much indeed. If people haven't yet discovered what you're about, where have you been? But if they haven't, where can people find you, sir? Uh, YouTube.com slash that one video gamer, twitch.tv slash the completionist. Uh, or you can find me over now at G4, youtube.com slash G4 TV or twitch.tv slash G4TV. Sponsored by Raid Shadow Legends. Raid 500,000 silver right now. <laughs> Use code CULTAHOLIC. <laughs> Let's do it. If you if we get enough of you, Tom's in the game. They're yeah. putting Tom in the game. They're putting, they're, they're putting Fatbeard the Wonder Troll in the game. That's me. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> get free sword, I suppose. For all the wrestling headlines in just 10 minutes, search Cultaholic Wrestling News on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from. 